Some stories are born of a fertile mind. Others come from the heart. Then there are those whose origin is shrouded in legend and history. Come explore mystery, folklore, fantasy, and wonder from the Green Velvet Chair. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Green Velvet Chair. I'm your hostess, Kat. If you like stories as much as I do, you've come to the right place. Grab a cuppa, sit back, and enjoy. Episode 1. Eat your heart out. The Donner Party. Thanksgiving has been a long-celebrated tradition in America. Its roots can be traced back to ancient autumnal festivals of harvest. In America, the first recorded Thanksgiving was celebrated by the Pilgrims, in honor of their survival in the New World. By the time Abraham Lincoln was president, the American holiday was over 200 years old. During his presidency, in the grips of civil war and political struggles, Lincoln endeavored to create a sense of unity amidst the strife of segregation threatening to tear the country apart. Although the original feast was celebrated upon the completion of harvesting the fields, it was Lincoln's hope that by establishing a specific day of thanks as a national holiday, it would encourage people to reflect on the positive aspects of life and view others through kinder eyes and ease tensions between the North and South. On October 3rd, 1863, he proclaimed the last Thursday of November to officially be Thanksgiving Day, making it a national holiday. In 1939, President Franklin D. Roosevelt changed it to the next to the last Thursday. Yeah, who knows. Then, in 1941, Roosevelt signed a joint resolution of Congress changing the National Thanksgiving Day to the fourth Thursday of November, putting more time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, of course, giving those people in the shops more time to sell stuff to you for Christmas. Despite the politicians, uh uh-huh, it remains one of America's most iconic and beloved holidays. But, as you make plans to celebrate with family and friends, enjoying the bounties of life in a party-like atmosphere, be thankful you were not invited to one party in particular. The Donner Party In 1846, a wagon train led by George Donner began on a journey that would forever impact the lives of those who traveled with him. Their struggle for survival shocked, horrified, and mystified the nation. Leaving Springfield, Illinois in April of 1846 on the first leg of their journey, the Donners planned to start a new homestead in California. The next stop was Independence, Missouri, for supplies and rest, where they were joined by other wagons bound for greener pastures in California. Independence was the beginning of the Oregon Trail to the West Coast. The promise of cheap, fertile land and boundless prosperity may have been the reason so many families risked everything on this almost 1,700-mile perilous journey. With no real roads and few trails, it could take from four to six months to complete in a wagon, but we can travel in just a few days by car today. Leaving Independence, Missouri on May 12, 1846, they headed west again in the middle of a thunderstorm. Many would have said this was an omen of things to come. 
Since there were no convenience stores yet, and few locations along the route to restock supplies, the settlers had to pack as much food in the wagons as possible, without overburdening the livestock who were tasked with pulling the load. So much for stopping to pick up a bag of chips and a fountain drink along the way. But the possibility of running out of food was a real danger. Getting a later than was deemed safe start, the Donners had considered taking a newfound route called the Hastings Cutoff. Lansford Hastings had promised the cutoff would shave 350 to 400 miles off the trip west. What he didn't state was that some of the route was nearly impassable for wagons. Hastings himself, a young entrepreneur, had only recently traveled the new route on horseback from California with a guide named James Kleiman, an old mountaineer. After which, Kleiman warned travelers against taking the new route. I don't know about you, but if a mountain guide tells me not to take a certain path, well, duh, I'm not going that way. But then again, who knows if this guy was sane after all that time in the woods alone. Hastings had sent an open letter inviting settlers to meet him at Fort Bridger, Wyoming, so he could guide them to his new cutoff. Since the route led directly to an area in California where Hastings owned large parcels of property he had acquired cheaply, now known as Sacramento, it stands to reason that his new cutoff would be very profitable for him by getting settlers to arrive sooner and selling them the land before someone else could entice them away. Maybe he thought they would be grateful towards him for helping them to save on travel time? I somehow don't think that was the case in the end. They reached Fort Laramie, Wyoming on June 27, 1846. Again, the Donners had been advised by experienced travel guides not to take the untested cutoff, especially so late in the season as they could find themselves stranded in the mountains by snow. Apparently, they ignored those dire warnings. They had traveled with other caravans to Fort Bridger, Wyoming, intending to meet up with Hastings' group. They arrived on July 28th, missing Hastings by a week. Fort Bridger was the divergence point on the trail, the last chance to choose their route. Faced with continuing the traditional longer route, or taking the cutoff without a guide, they decided to try Hastings' shorter passage. I wonder if their kids were anything like kids today. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Could this have influenced their decision to get there as quickly as possible? Don't make me pull this wagon over. They departed Fort Bridger on July 31st. The cutoff crossed the Wasatch Mountains and the Great Salt Lake Desert. Seventy-four men, women, and children set out filled with hopes and dreams. As they reached the mountains, they were joined by a family named the Graves, who also chose to take the cutoff. Another omen? Graves? Really? Why couldn't it be the Safe Passage family, or We Good? The group now totaled 87 people in 23 wagons. Up to this point, some members of the party had written about the trip being easier than expected. That was about to change. The mountains were more grueling than they had anticipated. Then they ran out of water while crossing the barren, flat Salt Lake Desert. Some of the brave travelers died and were buried along the way. There were squabbles, 
fistfights and a stabbing that resulted in a man being ostracized from the group and left alone on the trail after some wanted to hang him for murder. They were attacked by natives after enduring thirst, exhaustion, and the death of loved ones and many of the livestock. On about October 16th, 1864, they finally reached the Truckee River, which would lead them into the Sierra Nevada mountains. As a result of the hardships, trust in the leaders of the wagon train had been strained and divisions had formed within the group. Things only got worse from there. It was slow going with wagons through the rough terrain and often sheer rock walls or cliffs were what they were met with. Broken axles and stuck wheels were a constant plague. The weather had turned cold and everyone could tell that snow was imminent. By late November, the snow was so deep that the route was impassable by wagon. Here's an excerpt from the diary of Patrick Breen. Quote, Come to this place on the 31st of last month. It snowed. We went to the pass. The snow so deep we were unable to find the road when within three miles of the summit, then turned back to the shanty on the lake. Now we have killed most of our cattle, having to stay here until spring and live on poor beef without bread or salt. It snowed during the space of eight days with little intermission after our arrival here. End quote. With provisions running out and travel near impossible, the settlers were forced to camp near Truckee Lake, now called Donner Lake. They were only about a hundred miles from Fort Sutter and safety, but couldn't get through. In mid-December, a few men set out on makeshift snowshoes for Fort Sutter to bring back supplies and help. Facing starvation along the way, knowing the others were counting on them to return, they resorted to cannibalism after one of their number perished. The settlers back at the lake faced the same dilemma. While the individual accounts vary, some of their diaries document the gruesome fact. Nearly half the survivors eventually resorted to eating human flesh. Four relief teams from California, and a span of more than two and a half months later, 48 members of the original Donner Party were rescued. Almost a dozen families had comprised the Donner wagon train, but only two, the Reeds and the Breens, managed to make it to California without suffering a single death. On a positive note, one rescuer, John Stark, single-handedly led nine survivors of a group of eleven to safety. In March of 1847, he and two other men were part of a third rescue team. They came across a small group of emigrants, mostly children who had been too weak to walk and were subsequently left behind by an earlier rescue team. John watched as the other two men picked up one child each and started down the mountain. Not being willing to let anyone be left behind knowing that they wouldn't survive, John encouraged the adults to follow him as he began picking up the children two at a time and carrying them a few yards, putting them down and going back for two more. He continued this Herculean task all the way down the mountain and led all nine of his charges to safety. So, as you enjoy your holiday and celebrate with family and friends, Remember, you have much to be thankful for, and you can rest assured that that really is a turkey. Wait, has anyone seen the dog? Spot? Here, Spot! 
Spot, where are you? Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, leave a rating and a comment. Be sure to join us in two weeks to see what happens next. You can find us on Facebook or at www.thegreenvelvetchair.com.